0: I'm going to ask Mackenzie to put a slide on the screen for just a moment which has nothing to do with tonight's study and message. Um, I thought perhaps the um, parents would be interested in knowing what I tried to do with the high schoolers today. Um, I was thinking this week about the primary struggles of teenagers. and Those who gathered today were between the ages of 14 and 18. and uh, I submitted to them that whether they were converted or unconverted, three of the hardest trials they'll face during these years are submission to parental authority, the attraction and allurement of the world, and the handling of their God-given sexual desires. And I explained to them that um, Grace is going to be essential, and the reason why all of us by nature want to rebel against legitimate authority and are attracted by the world and tempted to use the gift of sex sinfully is because of the principle of self-love. We love ourselves so much, so you may be able to see that. It's, it's a little bit unclear. We drew this out, and I spent some time with the young people just helping them to To see that we have to have our self love crucified. It has to be redirected to God, to uh, the Savior, and to His Word. And by His grace, that helps us deal with those natural sins, particularly in youth. I just want you to know that's what we talked about. And um, some of the guys who stay with me for Teen Sunday, like Jason McFedridge, have contributed in very helpful ways, especially at the end of those times of discussion. So, Dave, if you want to pull the screen up, I'm done with my illustration. I want to take just these two Sunday evenings to briefly consider together the emotional use of the Psalms or how to use the Psalms emotionally in terms of the wide range of emotions that we experience. And I'm focusing on two extreme emotions, the emotion of elation and the emotion of depression. If I change the title just a little bit, I might put it this way, From Intense Joy to Deep Despair how to use the Psalms emotionally. Now, just a word about emotions. God made all of us emotional beings. I'm sure you recognize that. God is a God of emotions. We speak theologically of the emotivity of God. Even though our confession says that he is uh, a person without body, parts, or passions, the meaning of passions in Our confession has to do with the sinful passions that characterize us. He's entirely free from those, but God is an emotional being, and since we are made in his image, we too are emotional. Some of our emotions are, in fact, a result of the fall. I don't know if you've thought about that. There are a number of emotions that would be utterly impossible if we had not fallen. For example, sorrow fear, doubt, insecurity, anxiety, envy, anger, frustration, dejection, depression, despair. These are all real emotions that we have to deal with. We would not have to deal with them if man had not fallen, if we ourselves were not fallen. But those are real emotions, and we have to deal with them, and the psalmist dealt with them as well. But here's what I want you to appreciate this evening. The Psalms are a gift from God in the form of a collection of inspired poems or songs designed, this is what I want you to especially lay hold of, designed in part, not exclusively, but designed in part to enable us to worship God by pouring out our souls emotionally and especially in response to who he is and all that he has done, and especially in terms of what we may be presently going through and what we are feeling because of what we're presently going through. And there's a whole wide range of emotions that we could be feeling. I mentioned some of the ones that are the result of sin. I'll mention more, doubt, fear, insecurity, anxiety, loneliness, betrayal, rejection, paralysis, jealousy, envy, anger, indignation, frustration, longing, panting, sorrow, dejection, despair, depression, hopelessness. And then there are emotions that are more neutral, like determination, and resolution, and peace, and contentment, and satisfaction. And then there are those real positive emotions, such as gladness, and joy, and elation and exuberance and jubilation and ecstasy and gratitude. No wonder Calvin said the Psalms reflect all parts of the soul. And so I'm wanting you to uh, appreciate, or as the case may be, reappreciate tonight, the fact that the Psalms are a gift from God, designed in part to help us worship Him in the pouring out of our souls emotionally, and especially in terms of knowing who he is and what he has done and how desperately we need him. Now, here's how it tends to work, and I'd underscore the word tends. Often, circumstances in life produce in us an emotion, uh, and that emotion produces in us a profound desire to pray. And then when we pray in faith, in time God answers our prayer and changes the circumstances. And when the circumstances change out of just a natural gratitude, we have a a different emotion. We we go from despair to encouragement and joy and peace and comfort, and hopefully that emotion results in prayer, which is poured out. That's sort of the way it often works. Circumstances provoke emotions which produce prayer, which brings around different circumstances which result in different emotions. That's, that's the way it often works. To be more specific, for example, the emotion of fear or anxiety or despair is something that causes us to pour out our fearful, anxious, desperate hearts to God, and then if in time he graciously answers us, we feel comfort and peace and gratitude, maybe even elation and joy and exuberance. And so we pour out a different emotion. But hear me through the psalms. The psalms were designed and structured to give form to our emotions as we pour them out to God. We see this happening repeatedly in the psalms. Actually, if I were to entitle this series according to what I just set before you, that particular model, I would reverse it. I would say that I'm going to teach tonight and next Sunday evening, God willing, on moving from despair to joy, from deep despair to intense joy, and how to use the Psalms emotionally in that transition. Let me give you an illustration just to show you how frequently this happened. Well, I can't show you how frequently without showing you a lot of them, but I'm going to assert that you will find this over and over and over in the Psalms. Would you please uh, notice, if you want, you can just look at the, the passage on the screen, but I'm, I'm going to direct our attention for just a moment to Psalm 13. Very quickly, want you to see what's happening in the heart and the soul of the psalmist. It's very short. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Would you say that this, this writer is in some kind of deep emotional trauma? He's struggling, of course he is. And so he pours out his heart He continues to pour it out. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Do you see a shift in the emotion, now he's confident that God is going to deliver him. And his, the last verse says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see the progression. Whatever the circumstances were, they created in David. The emotion of despair, which sent him to his knees, praying to God who delivered him and replaced those emotions with the emotion of joy and gratitude. That's the pattern that is so frequently found in the Psalms. But that's not the only model in the Psalms. Sometimes it's the emotion of sorrow that's being poured out. And that is an act of worship. Sorrow produced by a God-given awareness of sin. Sorrow being poured out in repentance. We will not turn to the psalm, but you're very familiar with Psalm 51 in that regard. How David poured out his broken, shattered, humbled heart in repentance. It's forever going to remain a model for true repentance for the church. And at other times, it's simply the emotion of awe and wonder and amazement produced by contemplation. Just meditating upon the attributes and the works of God, and the fruit of that contemplation and meditation is an emotional transition. And the soul begins to feel compelled to pour itself out in praise and worship. Example, Psalm 150. Notice the words of it on the, the wall behind me. I'm just going to read this. It's so short. It's only six verses. Thirteen times the psalmist exhorts the readers and us to praise Praise the Lord. What is the emotion? The emotion is, is awe and, and wonder and amazement. If we were to look at this psalm in a, in a more structural way, perhaps we would see what we're to do, we're to praise, where we're to do it in the sanctuary, for what reasons. They're found in verse 2 because of the mighty deeds of God and because of... His great excellence, in other words, what he's done, who he is. How do we do this? We do this with various instruments. And who should do this? We find in verse 6 everything and everyone who has breath. What is my point? My point is that if we do what Psalm 150 exhorts us to do, our emotions will be involved in this act of worship. Praise, praise is rooted in in a genuine feeling of awe and wonder and amazement at who God is and what he has done. So it's not always repentance. It's not always desperation. Sometimes it's awe and amazement. So I stress again, the Psalms are A gift from God covering a wide range of emotions designed graciously by him so that we would have a vehicle and a medium by which to pour out our emotional souls depending on whatever emotion we may be feeling at the time and then sometimes it's simply the emotion of joy being produced by the same contemplation that I just mentioned a moment ago, thinking about God and especially what he has done, and in particular, what he has done with regard to our salvation. And so my last example is Psalm 98. Just very quickly, let us run through this relatively brief psalm as well, and I want you to notice what is the dominant emotion. The activity is praise. The word praise is used repeatedly again. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens, Let them praise the name of the Lord. Here comes the reason. For he commanded and they were created. Praise is due to God because of his creative glory. And he established them forever and ever. Am I reading, I'm reading Psalm 148, aren't I? And you're all looking at Psalm 98? Why don't I join you? I'm going to show you. This is really good stuff. <laughs> this is rich. I don't know why. I know why I did it, but because I was going to go to that one. I'm sorry. That was that was a little bit funny. I hope it's funny. 98, I'm sorry. I said to you that the, uh, the predominant emotion is joy in Psalm 98, and I think you will see that. And it is a joy that is produced by contemplating the The works of God, and and as I said, especially the work of salvation. So notice, these are nine verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. See that, salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all the nations. God is righteous in all of his ways, in all of his doings, in all of his requirements. But he's also made known the righteousness that he imputes or gives or puts to the record of those who trust in the provision of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made known his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's very faithful. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That's the third time the word salvation is used. And then comes this exhortation. I think it's really only the second one because the first one is, oh, sing. And we get all the way down to verse 4 before we come to the second imperative. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song. See the emphasis on joy. And sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. And then he calls on all creation. Again, he's already called on creation once. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. And what I'm trying to emphasize just now and illustrate is that here's a psalm where the predominant emotion is joy. The predominant activity is praise. But the emotion that is impelling it, that is producing it, that is acting as a catalyst is the emotion of joy. Joy for what? Well, especially for God's saving grace. And those verses, especially verses 4 through um, 6, are really quite amazing. Some of the translations are helpful, more helpful than others. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. The, The New American Standard says, shout joyfully. I've talked about shouting before. I'm sure there's a a form of shouting that could be very distractive. But there's also very much in the Psalms about shouting to the Lord with joy. And the NIV, or actually it's the, the New English translation, the NET translation, puts it this way break out in a joyful song and sing. The NIV, which I just about quoted a second ago, puts it this way, burst, burst into jubilant song with music. Now, if we heard people doing that, or if we did it and people heard us doing it, might we not be accused of being overly emotional? Yes, I think we might. But I remind you that God has made us emotional. And there's a sense in which truth has not produced its ultimate effect in any of our souls until it has touched us emotionally, whatever that truth may be. If it's the truth about God's holiness and our sinfulness, it hasn't had its adequate impact upon us until we feel our sinfulness and sorrow for our sinfulness. That is an emotion. And when the grace and the glory and the wonder of God is brought before us from the truth of His Word, it hasn't had its proper end and effect realized unless and until it produces in us joy, deep joy, exuberance. So I'm just turning you to Psalm 98 and these other Psalms to show you how emotional they are and how wide is the range of emotions to be found in the Psalms. Now, I'm very glad about that because you know what? In our Christian lives and experience, we too have a wide uh, range of emotions, don't we? we? We sometimes are critical of our wives or our daughters or of women in general because they seem to be able to move so quickly from one emotion to another. But... That's not necessarily a a fault or a weakness. That's the way God has designed them, and we, as men as well, are able to experience a wide range of emotions. So, my point, dear people, is this. When you feel a particular emotion that you know is the result either of circumstances or your deeper understanding of God's truth, that emotion should go into expression. Do you have to open your Bible to the Psalms and find a particular vehicle to express? No, you don't. But there are times when nothing will be more helpful to your prayers than to use one of those Psalms. That's why the subtitle of my message is How to Use the Psalms Emotionally. From Intense Joy to Deep Despair. Now, those of you who have gone through difficult times in your Christian experience have done this already. And I'm preaching to the choir. If we had time to take testimonies tonight, and I said, how many of you have found huge comfort from the Psalms at different times in your lives because of the circumstances you've gone through? I have no doubt that one after another after another would stand up and say, I can't tell you what the Psalms have come to mean to me. It's unbelievable. And if I said, well, what did you do? Did you just read them? Some of you may say yes, and others you'd say, no, I prayed them. How do you do that? You just open that psalm, and you read it word for word, and you say, God, that's exactly how I feel. I joined the psalmist in that expression. You can use the psalms that way to pray, and to pour out your soul. I confess to you that in the past year, the book of Psalms has come to mean considerably more to me, and I'm loving it, and I want to live in it for the rest of my life. So, recognize one of the main functions of the Psalms. Now, please notice, I said one of the main functions. I'm not up here tonight to say that's the only reason the Psalms were written, okay? The Psalms, like all other portions of Scripture, were written so that we might uh, be rebuked for our sin, so that we might have instruction in righteousness, so that we might be corrected. That's true for the whole of the Bible, but I am stressing that we may and ought to use the Psalms for the expression of our emotions. Now, I want to conclude And I hope that I've helped you see, perhaps just a little more clearly than before, what one of the main purposes of the the Psalms is. And I want to just remind you that this purpose should be realized in our lives individually and in our church corporately. We need to continue to sing the Psalms. For one thing, we're commanded to sing the Psalms. We're commanded twice by the Apostle Paul, first through the Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians, and secondly, through his letter to the Colossians. So we are to do this corporately, and there will be times in the life of our church that a given emotion needs to find expression corporately in the singing of particular psalms. It may be the emotion of sorrow. And we, this is reflected very clearly in, in our hymns, isn't it? There are times that we may sing, Oh, Happy Day, which is just sort of a gospel song about and it's very simple about the day our sins were forgiven and there'll be other times that the most appropriate thing for us to say as a church is oh god we have not loved thee as we ought we have not served thee as we ought we do not know thee as we ought well what is true of our hymns is true of the psalms because of the wide range so we need to use them as this vehicle for worship Not only corporately, but individually. Now, these are the three questions I leave you with. One, are you consistently reading and meditating upon the Psalms? That's a fair question. Are you consistently reading and meditating upon the Psalms? If not, I have a recommendation, just an idea, suggestion for 2013. Choose that year, which is just around the corner, to live in the Psalms. Maybe you're one of those people who likes to follow Bible reading schedule and you read systematically through the whole Bible. That's fine, do that. But live in the Psalms while you do it. And then maybe next year, the year following, 2014, live in the Gospels and maybe the next year live in the Proverbs, but dear people of God, Please, if you've never really spent serious time in the psalms, I beg of you, live in the psalms. For at least a year, just live in those psalms. Read them over and over and over and begin to categorize them and begin to develop your own topical emotional index. Which psalm should I go to today? This is how I'm feeling. Well, there's all of these. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to pray to God through these psalms. Do that, but you're not going to do it if you don't read them consistently meditate upon them and begin to sense the various kinds of psalms that are found with regard to emotion. Number two, how many verses in the psalms have become so precious to you that you can now quote them verbatim? How many do you think? Let me put it this way. If you were arrested in a third world country like Somalia and your Bible was confiscated but you had paper to write things on how much of the book of Psalms could you write how many verses do you know so well that you could collect a series of them how big would your collection be Dear brothers and sisters, for us to neglect the Psalms is, in essence, to say to God, thanks for the book, God, but I don't really value this section of Scripture that much. That would be a dangerous thing to say, no matter how honest it would be. I wouldn't be surprised if we said that to God if he didn't put us through a deep, dark, protracted trial and send us to that book. But let's not wait for that. Let's get familiar with the Psalms and let's find that they're so familiar that without even trying to memorize, per se, we find ourselves quoting something more than Psalm 23. And finally, I leave you with this question. When is the last time you got down on your knees to deal with a particular emotion, whether it be doubt, fear, despair, guilt, anger, whatever, and you used the very language of that chosen psalm to pour out your soul, and then you got up and you said, Thank you, Lord, for that precious psalm. It so helped me say what I wanted to say to you. When's the last time that happened in your life? I hope it hasn't been that long. If it has, join me in saying, I'm going to spend more time in this book because in addition to the other purposes for which it was given, this is surely one. It gives to the church at large and it gives to the individual members of that church a way to pour out their emotional souls in language that is pleasing to God. So, the Lord willing next week we'll take a a closer look not at the emotion of joy and praise and awe and wonder but at a desperate man who feels utterly helpless and hopeless. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Psalms. We confess to you collectively that we have not cherished and prized this portion of revelation to the extent that we ought to have. Forgive us for that if we have not yet experienced the preciousness of these songs, help us, Lord. Help us to live in them, even in the year 2013. And may we find ourselves going to them again and again and again to express how we feel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.